great moments are born from great opportunity. Last name ever, first name greatest. Like a sprained ankle, boy, ain't nothing to play with. Again. But before you can ever reach anything, you have to believe it. You don't just mistakenly become great at something. Now go out there and take it. You're listening to the Watling and Owens Show on WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Matt Watling joined alongside, in a remote fashion, by our very own Luke Owens in the Google Meet chat room. Luke, I know we couldn't, I couldn't hear you all that well, but you can hear me, right? Yeah, you're, you're sounding beautiful to me. All right, and you're back in here. We had the, the cue situation going on here in the studio, so I couldn't really quite I, figure it out exactly. The, didn't have the headset on, which certainly doesn't help, so... Don't you know the that, tr- that's mostly on me? The transition of watching you get ready for the show—it's like a NASCAR pit stop. Like it you're is. in, you gotta get the computer set up, you gotta get the the board ready to go, you gotta get me in the call. I mean, it's truly impressive that you were able to do that in less than five minutes. That, that's really impressive. And I had to wipe down all the equipment. You know, we have to have that right. hand sanitizer. Yeah. Wipe it down. You know, uh, usually the show before gets it. I typically Aaron and Lad do a great job wiping the stuff down. But I did pop in once. I heard the uh, the outro play. So. I just got in, got it out, and I feel like Kevin James in that new Netflix show. What's it called? Oh yeah, uh, the the Pit, I think. No, what's it called? I've asked the, I've asked uh, uh, someone about the name of the show like four times. We wa- I watched it last night, the first episode. Still kind of forgot what it's called, but it's a pretty good show. It's uh oh man, I don't remember. Oh, was it name? good? The Crew. The Crew. I liked it. I think it was pretty good. I like Kevin James though. I think he's pretty good. Uh, pretty funny. I'll give it a try. But uh, it's it's a thirty minute show. It's a sitcom. Yeah, it's worth it. I heard a la- there's a laugh track. Though. I'm not a big laugh track. There guy. is a big laugh track. Yeah, I kind of noticed that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, not it's not once like, you notice it, that's the issue. It's not like a How I Met Your Mother or Friends level show. It kind of feels like this new era sitcom of like that's not very good, but you could watch it anyway. It's passable. I enjoy okay. Kevin James. I give it a shot. Yeah, I'll I'll try. After I finish Sopranos, my my slate's pretty open, Oof. so I'll be. Have you finished I'll Peaky Blinders yet? No, I should probably do that. Yeah, too. why have you just completely skipped over Peaky Blinders? If you if you follow the Luke saga of watching shows, I jump around a lot. Like I yeah. can't. St- the Sopranos has really grasped my attention, and I will finish that in one, like without going to another show. But I'm really bad at like seeing a show and being like, I want to try this. Like my Netflix has a bunch of shows where I'm just in the middle of it, so it's a real problem. Right, and and we'll kind of get to the the, the talking points here, Luke. Uh, the, the sports view, and there's, there's a lot to talk about. There's obviously the Nets winning, uh, they're sweeping their five game road trip. There's obviously the Knicks. We just found out that Julius Randle is an NBA All Star, the first one since Kristaps Porzingis, the first one to play as our good friend Patrick Chang likes to point out since Carmelo Anthony. But something that happened this morning at 7 a.m. was a, a single car accident in which Tiger Woods. Um, Apparently, the officer on the scene said he was speeding down a hill, a hill and hit the center divider, a curb, and a tree. He was in serious but now stable condition. It's not life-threatening, but he is having surgery on his leg. It was um, a broken leg. I think uh, it was – I'm not exactly sure, so don't quote me on this, but I believe that the bone had kind of popped through the skin. I think that's the type of uh, – the compound fracture that he had. So, you know, it, it is a good story that he's that he's alive and it's not super serious, but obviously unfortunate to see that Tiger Woods uh, in a car accident here. Yeah, it was really it felt weird because I think obviously after the Kobe accident, I think people have been kind of on alert. So when it first happened, like obviously people were freaking out about it, it was kind of dominating the social media headlines as it should, because it was kind of out of nowhere which was interesting and one report said he was actually going to visit drew Brees out in la so that was i i, that, I found that interesting i don't know why uh they were hanging out in la but um yeah it, it's tough because when you see a single car accident at 7 a.m you assume you know maybe something you know bad's going on but just seemed like you know he, he was speeding maybe on roads he wasn't familiar with and obviously you're glad that 
that he's okay, but that's that's obviously a very serious injury. Like you mentioned, Matt, the the article from the LA Times was saying that he like wasn't able to walk under his own power and things like that, which would kind of line up with what you were saying. So uh, luckily, you know, his agent came out because the fir- I first saw this report from a source that was like an iHeart Radio source, and I was like, it seems trustworthy. You know, it seemed like a guy that had uh, sources on it, but then it kind of you know, no one reported on it for a little while. And then once the LAPD dropped their tweet, it was like, all right, this is, this is pretty serious, but luckily he's, he's in stable condition. Right. And, and there's really not much left we could say on it, Luke. Um, the officer on the scene said he didn't seem impaired. So we're hoping it wasn't a, a, a drinking and driving type accident, but there's not much else we can really touch on it, Luke. So I guess, you know, there's no real way to transition to this, but we can kind of touch on the nets here who are now, you know, win six, six of their last straight games, uh, on that five-game road trip, Luke, winning by an average of 9.4. And it seems like the defense, you know, I want to say the defense is kind of is getting there, but then you see them give up 120 uh, points plus twice in the, in the, on the road trip. But you know what? They look a lot better. And I think this kind of this road trip sweeping them, beating the Clippers, beating the Lakers, albeit without Anthony Davis and without Dennis Schroeder, it kind of seems like this is the coming out party, so to speak, for this Brooklyn Nets team. It does. And I think when you talk about the defense, obviously you don't want to be giving up that many points to a team like the Kings. I mean, the Suns are a really good team, but the one thing I noticed watching them defensively is just situational stops. I mean, against the Clippers, they win that game by four. They get a couple, you know, Harden flopped a little bit to draw an offensive foul, but he did draw the offensive foul on Kawhi Leonard. Uh, They played great defense against the Suns as well down the stretch. Uh, The Kings kind of scored a little bit late, so that number a little bit inflated. But that's the thing with the Nets is they're getting situational stops, and that's what's going to be big in the playoffs because I just – I don't fathom a team shutting them down defensively. Like, you can focus on one of these three guys or two of these three guys, but the odds of you slowing down or stopping all three of them when Kevin Durant's healthy is is pretty much zero. So as long as they can get those situational stops, they're in a great spot right now, and they're fun to watch, man. I got to tell you, I mean – when, when this team first played uh, their first game when Harden got traded, it was just Harden and KD, and I was like, man, this is a problem. But it's kind of like, well, what's going to happen when, when Kyrie comes in the mix? And Kyrie came in the mix, and they elevated their play even more. I mean, they, the, the Nets have become must-watch kind of basketball. And I know for, for me, I kind of feel like a hypocrite because I didn't love when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors, and now with James Harden kind of forcing his way into a big three, and, and I didn't love that. But watching them play, I think maybe it's because it's, you know, in our market, we get to talk about them. You know, they're on yes, so I get to watch them. And they're, they're really just a fun, fun team to watch. And you know what's so crazy is on Monday when people were talking about basketball from the weekend, people weren't even talking here in New York about the Nets. It was still the Knicks. It was still, oh, the Knicks won this game. The Knicks did this. And I just find that so odd. Because, or not even odd, it's, it's almost expected, but in that same vein, there, there's no real reason for it. You know, it's just the popularity of the, of the two sports, and I just find that so interesting that, you know, here in New York, we're still talking about the Knicks, but the Nets, I mean, they're spoken about every single day on first take, pretty much. That's what's so impressive and kind of so shocking. Yeah, they're, they're such a national story, and, and that's what the NBA is, is it's so national. Because, I mean, you look at the teams that you mentioned first take or any of those shows like that. It's Lakers, it's Clippers, it's now Nets, you know, it's it's the Sixers, you know, it's it's teams that are, you know, in bigger markets playing good basketball. And, and they don't talk about the Knicks, obviously, nationally, but locally, it's it's just so hard. I mean, the Knicks are a franchise and a fan base that's so loyal, so passionate. You're not really going to win them over, but I, I'm interested to see it. It's tough with no fans in the building, but they come back, you know, in limited capacity tonight just to see kind of the, the buzz. I mean, I think the Garden's going to be electric tonight as that game is just about to tip off the Knicks and the Warriors. I mean, it's going to be 2,000 fans, but I think that's going to be a, a buzzing game. And and when the Nets uh, take the floor as well, they'll kind of have that vibe. But I, I'm honestly a little bit more intrigued just to, to have fans in the Garden just because, you know, it is the Garden. It is kind of a, a bigger kind of venue type. But I think the Nets deserve some of that buzz in the city as well. And it, it feels almost like the the fans themselves, and at least the, the, the NBA community as a whole, has given them this buzz. And, and Luke... We obviously talked about it before. You beat the Lakers on Friday, 109 to 98. No Anthony Davis, no Dennis Schroeder, no Kevin Durant. Is this win such a big deal for the Nets? Because it felt like everyone was saying, this is the statement win. They're the team now. You know, the Lakers, sure, they're defending champions, but the Nets, this is their championship to lose. And I sit here and say, they were without their, their point guard and Schroeder. They were without one of the best players in the world, Anthony Davis. 
if both teams are fully healthy, I'm not going to say the Lakers win this game. But I do think the Lakers are better if everyone's at full strength. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this was really... Uh, you know, it's it's definitely a it's a game you want to win, but it's not like you said, it's not the biggest I think statement win that that people have kind of made it out to be. I think the Clippers win might have been more impressive just because they're a team that is playing really good basketball right now. They're the two seed in the West. They'd be the one seed if it wasn't for the the Utah Jazz just shooting lights out, playing great defense, and moving their way at the one seed. I thought the Clippers win was a little bit more impressive because that's a team that was at full strength with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and the Nets were coming off of. You know, it was a long trip out West and the Lakers win obviously was impressive, but you know, it doesn't really change my opinion. Like going into the, this trip, I, I still thought the Nets were, you know, going to come out of the East and the Lakers or whoever they meet in the finals. If that's what's going to happen, it's still going to be a tough series. No matter what, if Anthony Davis is there or if it's a, a fully healthy Clippers, like they're games that you want to win. And I was impressed just more by the fact that they went out West and they didn't lose a single game and they played some really good teams especially in the Suns, the Clippers, and the Lakers. I mean, those are three of the top four teams in the West right now. And I think, you know, this, the, the point still stands. This team, what was our biggest concern, Luke? It was the defense, and it was Kyrie and Harden playing together. And both those questions have been answered. You know, you look at what they've done. You look at what um, Kyrie Irving said. And this quote stands out to me. And this is why I think, and this was after the Lakers game, this is why I think this is the team to beat in the East and possibly in the NBA for the championship is – Kyrie says, it's about time we turn the corner defensively. No team is going to win anything in this league if they don't get stops. We heard Steve Nash loud and clear the last few games. It's one of our points of emphasis. This is more important than the win because now you're seeing them actually care about defense, and they needed that. They really did. And you know what else it tells me, Matt, is that, you know, we, we've, we've heard all, you know, Steve Nash's first year, he doesn't do anything. Well, Kyrie's coming out and saying, you know, coach said we need to play better defense, and, and we know that we're playing better defense. You know, this is the first time we've really heard Steve Nash's voice and it's not even coming from him. It's coming from Kyrie Irving, you know, saying not that Steve Nash isn't talking, but just that it's very clear that uh, his opinion does matter. I mean, he's, he's an NBA great. He's a, one of the best point guards to ever play. And for him to kind of get his feet wet, I mean, this is not, you know, it's an easy job in the sense of you have three, three stars that can kind of manage themselves. But at the same time, you're managing three stars. You're keeping egos going. He had to deal with the Kyrie Irving situation early on. And we haven't heard anything bad from Steve Nash. So I think that's also a good sign, just that Nash is kind of in the mix there as well, uh, coaching him up. He feels a lot like Aaron Boone in the sense that he's not going to beat you with X's and O's, but he really doesn't need to do that. You know, he can do a good enough job to just kind of survive, so to speak. He can just say, hey, you do this, you do this, hey, it's your turn to go in, and he doesn't need to do much else. Yeah, and that's big. And and obviously the, the tough part for Boone is that when there is a, a coaching situation that, you know, for Boone, sometimes it doesn't even come from from him, but it's, you know, the spotlight's on him. It's, oh, look at this terrible decision that Boone made. You know, that could happen with Nash, too, as he kind of tinkers with the lineups as Kevin Durant comes back. You know, it's tough with those guys that have great rosters because they don't really get the praise. They always kind of get the the short end of the stick, and we haven't really seen Nash get that short end of the stick yet. Right, and, and now, Luke, we kind of, to pivot over to the, the Yankees right now and, and Aaron Boone, they come down for spring training, and the first story that really stands out outside of previewing this team, which we'll get to in a little bit, is the Domingo Homan situation. And obviously, he was suspended all of last year for a domestic violence incident. Um, the report that you mentioned, Luke, before the show was that Herman slapped his girlfriend publicly at an MLB fundraising event. He went home, was drunk and violent. Um, the girlfriend uh, you know, hid and locked herself in a room. She called another Yankees uh, player or the wife of that player in fear. And Zach Britton then comes out during you know the first week or so in pitchers and catchers report and says, sometimes you don't get to control who your teammates are. I don't agree with what he did. I don't think it has any place in the game or off the field at all. And, you know, Britton saw it firsthand. I believe he was on the team at this time. And that's scary because you don't know how his teammates are going to react. You know, he has to talk to them. He said he was going to. Uh, unfortunately, it's in groups of four or five guys because of social distancing. But this is a really odd story to try to tiptoe and navigate around now that Herman is coming back. It is. And I think, you know, props to Zach Britton, honestly, for coming out and saying this. I think, you know, it would have been easy to, to kind of deflect the question or say, you know, that's that's more of his deal. But, you know, he said, he, he straight up said, you know, sometimes your teammates aren't good guys. Sometimes your teammates 
make mistakes that no one should agree with that. Of course, Zach Britton doesn't uh, agree with. And, you know, he even backed it up when a fan on Twitter is like, you don't know the circumstances, man. He's like, you think I don't know the circumstances? Like, get a clue. Uh, don't care if you're sensitive about my answer. That's how I feel. And it's a really awkward, tough situation because, first of all, I think what's it's kind of weird because Aroldis Chapman had a similar situation and he's on the team and you haven't really heard a lot of guys talk about him. I wonder if that's because he's the closer, he's their best reliever, whereas Domingo Herman, a young kid who hasn't really proven himself in the MLB, maybe a little bit easier to, to kind of take a shot at him. So that's the one thing for me is the accountability in sports is just so messed up where if it's a low-level guy that something happens to, everyone's quick to jump on him. But we've seen guys like Antonio Brown, Aroldis Chapman get opportunity after opportunity to, to still stay in the league because of their talent. And I wonder if the reason behind Herman ha- or and his teammates having sort of that hesitation is because, you know, Herman is, is a guy that they saw do it. You know, they were at the yeah. event. I wonder if that makes a difference than Chapman, who did just as disgusting of a thing. You know, I don't want to rank how heinous domestic violence cases are, but that was behind closed doors. You know, people didn't necessarily see exactly what he did. That's one thing that I think Michael Kay was kind of floating around, you know, is the difference. Hey, we saw this and we saw how, how horrible it was. Yeah. I think that's a valid point. You know, seeing it in person has to be very jarring and whoever, you know, the teammate was to go over. I mean, that's a really, that's a really life altering, scary situation. And, you know, it's, it's weird because Herman's just been so cryptic through all this, the weird Instagram posts, the deletions, uh, he posted a long thing about him being done and, and signed off with his girlfriend's name on Instagram. It's just, he's just done a lot of weird things in between where like when those things happen or when it first happened, you know, maybe the Yankees cut him then. But now it's like they've kind of written it out with him. They've kind of given him the second chance. So I wonder at this point if they cut him, it kind of would feel like eyewash because they've had a lot of opportunities. They knew the details the whole time and he's still on the team. So I don't know, you know, how much a guy like Britain's opinion kind of sways the Yankees opinion in general. But you also wonder if Britain's opinion is the majority opinion. How do you keep I'm sure it is. in the locker room? Like, how do you keep him in the locker room if nobody trusts him, if nobody likes him? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the tough part. And I would assume that it is the majority opinion. But if the Yankees, you know, it's the sad reality. If the Yankees believe that he can do better or he can help them out, I, I could see him sticking around just because, you know, I feel like the teammates probably told Aaron Boone or told Brian Cashman how they felt about him already. So I'm sure they knew. I'm sure Aaron Boone's not a, a huge fan of the guy personally, but. The, at the end of the day, the sad reality is it turns into a business. You know, when we see Jared Porter uh, or Mickey Calloway happen, you know, they end up losing their jobs. But for a player, it's just a lot longer of a process. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. And Luke, we talked about and kind of touched on the New York Yankees before we went to break. And, and now we'll look into the, the spring training side of things. And, and pitchers and catchers, what, reported a week ago? A week ago, uh, last week, I should say. I don't know how you don't know the date, Matt. It's the most important day of the baseball season. Wouldn't that be the pitchers World and Series catchers. Or, or the home opener? It's the, the kickoff to everything, Matt. It's, it's beautiful. You know my stance on pitchers and catchers <laughs> reporting. I think it is the dumbest day to celebrate in the history of the world. I would rather yeah, celebrate a leap year more than we celebrate pitchers and catchers. At least it happens every four years. At least it's a rare occurrence. But it's the, the congregation of the team for the first time. You but get to not. see them put on the uniforms, put on the, the catcher's gear, the white baseballs and the, the beautiful Florida sunlight. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely glorious but it's to not, go watch them throw. It's not a congregation of the team. It's like half the team, not even. Right, it's like a little warm-up party before the the real celebration. But but, but, we, but why do we? Why is there a pre-celebration? This is like having a cocktail hour before a surprise party, but you invite yeah. the people that you're surprising to the cocktail party and say, "Hey, this is a cocktail party or a cocktail hour before your surprise party." It's not a surprise anymore. Like we know it's coming already. Like you you can't wait one more week and wait for the batters to report and then get excited because at least I can well, see people swinging baseball bats. They're playing, they're playing catch right now. That's what they're doing. Well, I think the big part of it for me, and, and I'm obviously trying to try to get you going as well, is just, you know, when I was younger, pitchers and catch, like I, uh, I, I was right up there with the people that you hate. Just like, oh my gosh, like it's, 
it's really just to me an indication like baseball's coming, like we're getting a little bit closer to spring. You know, the Yankees are, are ready to go. It, it's more of that than, you know, nowadays it's, I'm not, you know, as into, I don't have a countdown going or anything like that, but I do, I just, you know, baseball is one of my favorite sports, especially just because what comes with it. I mean, it just reminds me of spring and, and summer coming along and, you know, those dog days of summer that kind of get filled in with baseball. So that that's more to me. It's just, it's just an exciting time to know that baseball is coming back. And I, I kind of agree with you there. I, I get that aspect of it. But it's so crazy that baseball's already back. It feels like it was just yesterday the um the Dodgers oh, yeah. won the World Series. I mean, it's it's funny because after uh the NFL season ended, I was like, Oh, I get a, a little bit of a break. You know, not really, because I do, you know, I watch the series, but I don't follow hockey as religiously as NFL. We've got a little bit more into college basketball. But it's kind of like we had so many sports for this kind of short period of time. It's like you know, baseball's going back and it's like, wow, yeah, it feels like we haven't even had a chance to breathe, which is funny because like a few months ago, obviously, and I love it. I love that everything's going on at once, but it is kind of interesting how we went from no sports to kind of everything just hitting at the same time. And, and Luke, we'll touch on really what's my biggest concern for this team. And this is a team that is going to win the AL East by a long margin. I mean, you've got the, the Blue Jays that are a good lineup, shaky pitching, a real young team. The Rays, you lose two of your starting pitchers from last year, two really good ones in Blake Snell and Charlie Morton, and I just don't see how you bounce back from that. I just don't. And then you look at the Orioles, they're a joke. The Red Sox, they're a couple years away. You know, they're a team that doesn't really have a superstar after trading Mookie Betts. But I look at this team, and and obviously the Yankees, their expectations are to win a World Series and, and win it soon. But outside of Garrett Cole, do you trust the rest of their rotation? Do you trust Corey Kluber as your second starter, Jamison Tyon, Jordan Montgomery, or Davey Garcia? I maybe trust Garcia, but something we saw with Jordan Montgomery when he was a sophomore is he started to slump a little bit. Yeah, that second year is always tough. I mean, you get figured out a little bit more. Guys have more tape on you. And I, you know, I agree with what Aaron Boone's saying. He says, you know, this is the deepest group of arms he's had. He likes the upside. That's all true. This is a, line, a rotation that has a ton of upside, but it also could have a ton of downside because Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyon haven't pitched full seasons for multiple years for, for Tyon and, and Kluber as well. And, you know, Montgomery's kind of a question mark, had a really rough season last year. Garcia's super young. I like the depth they have, you know, if Herman can, can figure it out. Luis Severino coming back. Uh, Michael King, I think, is a nice guy to have. You know, this this rotation, I think, if the upside hits, it's fantastic. But there's just a lot of, I think, opportunity for it to go south just because of the the injury history that they're dealing with. And I think that, to me at least, makes the loss of Masahiro Tanaka so much worse. And yeah, it's huge. You know, I look at Corey Kluber at his best. Yes, yeah, sure, he could be better than Tanaka, and he's only getting paid $11 million, But his best was, what, five years ago? He's not that Corey Kluber anymore. He's not that two-time AL Cy Young Award winner anymore. And to lose Tanaka, a guy that you can expect to go out there and pitch close to 20 starts a season, give you five, six innings, do his job, a low ERA, and replace him with a complete question mark is really dangerous. And I'm sure that Tanaka wanted more money, and eventually, you know, Cashman said, you know what, we're going to let you go take other offers. And at that point, it was too late. But... Signing Corey Kluber, it just it just doesn't feel right. This this roster, this starting pitching rotation really scares me. And you have to hope that of the eight pitchers they have, and I can list them all quickly for you, it's it's Cole, it's Kluber, Tyon we mentioned, Jordan Montgomery, Garcia, and then those final three is Domingo Herman, who we don't know what's going to happen if he even stays on the team, Luis Severino, who should be back you know, late June, early July, and then Clark Schmidt, who just played a handful of starts last year. I mean... Yeah. And just got hurt. And he just got hurt for, what, four or five weeks now? Yeah. So I just – I don't know what you expect out of this team because the, the lineup's there. The bullpen, although not as good as it used to be, is still pretty solid. The lineup's incredible. But this starting pitching rotation, man, every single year, time in and time out, that's been the issue for this team for the, for the regular season. Yeah, hitting's kind of been the concern in the playoffs, but – Let's not pretend like the, the, the starting rotation is anything that's been brilliant year in, year out. And now, now Cashman doesn't, doesn't really bring it up. And I, I hate being so negative because at the end of the day, this is a team that's probably going to run away with the American League. But if you look at the opposition, if you look at the National League, if you look at the Dodgers, if you look at the Mets, the Padres, 
these are really good teams. And I guess really the Padres and the and the Dodgers are the two top teams in the NL. But it feels like the Yankees are missing something. And they just can't do anything about it right now. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. And and I you know, I think the Yankees are the best team in the AL, but I won't I'm not gonna shock them in the World Series just because we've seen what's happened every year in the postseason with them. You know, I think they win the AL East. You know, Tampa Bay, I still could see Tampa Bay being better than than Toronto. I mean, Toronto's a better lineup, but Tampa Bay, just, they always find a way to do something. But I do think the Yankees are the best team in the AL. But like you said, when you match up this rotation with the Dodgers, with the Padres, uh, you know, the Mets gets a little bit closer, but even they could probably get the edge over the Yankees. But that that's the tough part. And if you can have these guys firing on all cylinders, because that's what the Yankees expect. They watched Corey Kluber rehab this entire offseason. He knows Matt Blake, the Yankees pitching coach. They work together in Cleveland. Jamison Ty on a guy that they believe can kind of have that Garrett Cole effect. He's great friends with Cole. He's got the right attitude coming in. But at the end of the day, if they can't give you 25 to 30 starts and they're not healthy for the playoffs, that's what's going to hurt. Because you knew that Tanaka would be ready for the playoffs. You know Garrett Cole's going to be ready. He's a guy you give the ball to every five days and can go out and dominate, which they haven't had before. And that's a big luxury. But there are a lot of question marks. But I'm excited to see this because this is an exciting rotation to me because I like Jamison Tyron. I like Corey Kluber. And if they can stay healthy, I think this could be a a really high upside rotation like Aaron Boone said. It could be the best rotation in baseball. If Corey Kluber gets to, you know, a step below Cy Young caliber, if Tyon kind of puts it all together like he's supposed to, Garrett Cole's a Cy Young contender year in, year out. And then you've got Luis Severino, who was a Cy Young contender his, what, his second or third year in the league. I mean... These are some really good pitchers, but it's about bringing them together and kind of managing them and making sure they're well coached. And now, look, let's qu- quickly kind of dive into the Mets because we don't have too much time before you take us through some what some might say is a glorious odd man rush as we're just oh, flying it's, through the it's show. It's beautiful. Really, beautiful. Really just flying through the show, Luke. We, it's, it's only one of those it's those hour-long shows. But the nice thing, Luke, is we'll be right back tomorrow. New time, though. We'll be right back. We'll be there 6 to 7. We'll lead you right into the Oswego High School a hockey event at eight o'clock. So we'll see you from six to seven, an hour earlier, but you'll get the same hour long content that you know and love from the Wilding and Owen show. But to look, yeah, up, very, yeah, we can always, and I was just going to say, Matt, we, we, we can rehash whatever we want tomorrow. That's, that's the, right. the beautiful part, as you mentioned. That's right. We'll get to more of the Yankees later on. You know, I, I hate kind of driving this constant negativity of the Yankees, but when you're that good of a team, it, it's, it, it just, do you see where I'm coming from though with the Yankees? I know I well, said we go to the Mets. No, because it's a team that is that by now should have at least played in a World Series. And every year they've been let down by something. So it's a valid concern because of the expectations we have. You know, if we're if we're in the, you know, the the Baltimore market and this is the Orioles, we're saying this is awesome. You know, look at all these great moves the Yankees made and, and underrated moves and things like that. But this is the Yankees. It's just the reality of of the market and the expectations is the expectations is to win a championship. And they've fallen short of that. That's just the reality. So I 100% see where you're coming from. And now on the Mets side of things, you know, we talk about roster tinkering. And boy, did they do some good job with the tinkering. Luke. You've got Francisco Lindor, a top-end shortstop, probably one of the three best in the league. Carlos Carrasco, a really solid middle-of-the-rotation guy. Ty June Walker, they just signed from the Blue Jays. He's another guy that could be your, you know, your fourth, fifth starter. A better, you know, the second best catcher on the market in James McCann, Trevor May, a reliever, Marcus Stroman comes back. This is a team that's got a lot of talent, real good bats, real solid pitching. But then you look at who they're going up against in the division. And this is a division that's very, very strong and very dangerous between the Braves and the Nationals. And even the Phillies are kind of getting hot. And you could see this team win 85 games or whatever it may be, and still miss the playoffs because there's really only one wild card spot available. When you have that horrible NL West, you expect the Padres to go out there and take care of business along with the Dodgers to pick up the NL West you know, division pennant alongside one of the two wild cards, and it leaves the Mets competing with four teams in their own division, or three teams in their division, along with themselves for just two playoff spots. Yeah, it's, it's such tough sledding in the NL East, and that's what I'm, you know, that's the thing. If, if the Mets were in the NL Central, you're feeling real good right now because that's about a lot of mediocre teams. When you have to meet every single one of these teams 17 times, I mean, that's going to be absolutely brutal. As you mentioned, it really would be to the Mets' benefit to try to, I mean, obviously you're trying to, but if they could win the division, that's the biggest thing. And a lot of the projections love the Mets. And I can't give them the 100% nod because I think the Braves are on that level. A great rotation. 
you know, kind of on the Mets level with the bullpen, not great, but have some nice pieces. The lineup is stellar. Like they're very comparable. And then the Nationals, a team that won a World Series a few years ago, took a couple steps back, but last year down the stretch played great baseball. Uh, the Phillies, who you know they they could do some things, and the Marlins, who made the playoffs last year in a shortened season and beat the Cubs. I mean, they're not going to be a great team. They should be in fifth place. But as you mentioned, Matt, this is a, a division that's going to be a someone's got to win it, and B the the second place team's probably going to snag that second wild card. So there could be two or three really good teams in this division that just don't make the postseason if the rosters aren't expand or if the the playoffs aren't expanded, which we're still kind of waiting for. And, and I want to say I expect it just because it makes sense. I don't know why either side doesn't want an expanded playoffs. And I think with that, you go to what was it last year? Eight teams made the playoffs from each from each conference, and then you or yeah. each league rather, and then you had the the uh, DH. I mean, the the Mets are are hoping and praying down there in Port St. Lucie that they can get an extra couple wild card spots, get a DH out there because then you're putting Pete Alonso out there every day. You're putting a guy in Dom Smith out there every day. And then you've got, you've got some really good options in your uh, outfield. If you can flex Dom Smith out there to first base. I mean, you've got some younger, not younger guys, but some veterans that you bring in Jonathan uh, Villar, Kevin Pillar. I mean, these are real solid pieces. They are. And that's the biggest thing. And I think a universal DH would help them out so much because you mentioned, you know, Dom Smith shaking the outfield. Uh, Nimmo has been really shaky. Obviously they get Pilar, they get El Moro so they can help him out, but someone's got to play. Uh, Pete Alonso at first, like there definitely are a lot of defensive questions, but this lineup is really loaded. I mean, it's, it's again, last year, one of the best lineups in baseball. And you know, sometimes they're pitching struggled or it seemed like the Mets lineup last, last year would either put up like 15 or score like one, like there wasn't a lot of in between. So maybe that had to do with why they were, you know, the runs per game was so high and, and all their advanced stats were so good, but this is a lineup that's going to be really fun to watch, but I'm honestly even more intrigued by the rotation and their pitching because, you know, you have a great anchor in Jacob DeGrom. You've got some veteran guys in Carlos Carrasco and Marcus Stroman. You hope that Syndergaard can come back and kind of be uh, the, the Thor that we saw a few years ago. And I mean, this is going to be a fun team, but the thing is, Matt, we, we can't have the same fun Mets as we usually have. Like this is a team that is expected to start to compete for championships, you know, they're not the 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 laughing stock of the city that, oh, that's a cute little run you went on in August. Like this is a team that now is in a spot to win games. And the real question with that is, Luke, if they don't make the playoffs, which is very feasible, when does the Steve Cohen Steve Cohen honeymoon era kind of end? Because this is a team that has some pieces, they've got the money to spend. They, you know, they did a good job in in free agent in the offseason, but they kind of struck out on two of the bigger name guys that they were in on the entire time. You know, you had the um the outfielder whose name eludes me going to Toronto. Springer. Yeah, you had George Springer, and then you had Trevor Bauer both kind of leave the Mets in the dust. And those are two guys they really could have used to make this team from a good team to a great team in a really tough division. Yeah, I think the big thing for the Mets is they can't have that slow start that they usually have. You know, the August run isn't going to help them this year. They got to kind of start out hot, hot out of the gates, and you're not going to have Noah Syndergaard. You're not going to have Seth Lugo most likely for – for a few weeks to start the year as well. So those are some some big pieces uh, in the pitching department they're going to be missing, but they, they can't afford to get off to a slow start this year. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Back on the Watling and Owens show here on 88.9 WNYO, the Laker Radio Network. Odd man rush, and we'll, we'll jump right into it because we're starting to run a little bit low on time. We'll start with, some more baseball talk, and Mariners president and CEO Kevin Mather has resigned after making some pretty uh, pretty off-base off comments uh, at a team-hosted event last weekend. And uh, he made a lot of comments about the, the foreign players on the Mariners, their inability to speak English. He was talking about Hishashi Iwakuma, uh, one of their, their older pitchers that's now a coach on the team. He said, uh, I'm going to say it, I'm tired of paying his interpreter. When he was a player, we'd pay him. Uh, we'd pay him, but we'd also have to pay $75,000 a year to have an interpreter with him. His English suddenly got better. His English got better when we told him that. He also talked about one of their top prospects, Julio Rodriguez. He said, Julio is a, a personality bigger than all of you combined. He's loud. His English is not tremendous. So a lot to unpack here, but first of all, just the, the insensitivity for foreign players in a league that is driven by foreign players, by Spanish-speaking players, by Japanese players, is just it's it's out of touch 
and it's 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 very problematic. From a strictly business perspective, this is a bad bad idea because no player's gonna want to play for you if you if you talk like that. You know, no player from Japan or Korea or you know Latin American countries that have trouble with English are gonna want to deal with that because look, it, it's a hard language one. You see a lot with I think either Gary Sanchez or Masahiro Tanaka. They prefer the interpreter because they don't want to make a mistake. I mean, you've got five six reporters crowded around you most times. You know, before COVID. And they're trying to you're trying to answer the questions in a language that you don't know very well. You know, you know, like the the psyche, you know, the psychological toll, the 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 stress that it causes is not something you really want to deal with. And to just bring this up so willy nilly is just disrespectful and it's it's disgusting. Yeah, and this is a Mariners organization that's dealt with a lot of dysfunction over the years. And and Mather wasn't fired right away. He actually ends up resigning. Uh he also said uh, openly that prospects Jared Kalenic and Logan Gilbert will not begin the season on the major league roster in order to save money and get added years of arbitration. And these comments also came after the Mariners offered uh, Kalenic one of those team-friendly deals to try to get him to stay for added on years, and he declined. Uh, he also mentioned that Kyle Seager, who's who's really been the face of the Mariners franchise uh, since Felix Hernandez left, is is highly overpaid. So obviously, why is he openly talking about, like, Oh, I need to save all this money and like bashing his players and then openly saying he doesn't want to call his players up to to get added control over them. I mean, does this guy how out of touch can you be? It's crazy. And I don't have a I have an issue with them talking about the, you know, not bringing these young players up because if you're Kalenic, you feel disrespected, you feel used, but also it's perfectly legal to do it. So it's almost like this unspoken rule where, you know, when we were talking last year with Pete Alonso, when they brought him up out of camp, I was sitting there like, why wouldn't you just keep him down for a month? You know, you keep him down for a little bit or however many games it was in a shortened season, and now you have him for, for years to come. So you can, you can do it, but just don't say it like that because now you lose a lot of trust with Jared Kalenic. And you saw the Cubs do that with Chris Bryant, but that relationship, I think, has, has been kind of fractured since then, you know? Bryant doesn't want to sign a big extension. He wants to go to free agency. So it can definitely hurt. And every team does it. Every team manipulates service time. But to come out and openly say it, it's like it's like someone handed Kevin Mather a, a note card. Like, okay, these are the things you can't say. And he accidentally switched it with the things he was actually supposed to say. Like, that's how ridiculous his comments were. It's nonsense, to say the least. Yeah, it is. And we'll stay in baseball where Tim Anderson, the White Sox star shortstop, he arrived early in spring training in order to have a sit-down with his new manager, Tony LaRusso. I, sh- I say new manager, but he's, he's an old guy. Uh, we we uh, criticize, especially me, I criticize the hiring of him just because, you know, he's an old white guy. He kind of has that, the old adage. He's said some controversial things in the past. He was coming off a of DWI. But, uh, you know, Tim Anderson said he sat down with him, had a great conversation. Uh, he won't be forced to change how he plays the game and says that him and LaRusso are on the same page with the ultimate goal of winning a World Series. It feels like a lot of eyewash to me because what you is he going to so? say? I hate this guy. He's just going to make your life miserable. Like, you're not going to be like, oh, this new manager that controls how much I play and what I do. Oh, yeah, I love the guy. Like, you're not going to say, oh, I hate the guy. He's terrible. That's a valid point. But also, I mean, did he have to come out and be this kind of glowing of him? Like, he I didn't really not. have He could have been like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we met and talked and stuff. But for him to say, like, you know, I, I trust him, and, and I can play my way and things like that. I think that could be a step in the right direction. What are your thoughts on players kind of saying, you know, we're on the same page of ultimately of the ultimate goal of winning a World Series? Like, doesn't everyone that have that like mindset? Everyone has <laughs> yeah, that, that mindset. Like, yeah. I could be the Everyone's manager of the White in. Sox yeah. and flipping a coin for every decision I make and sit there and say, you know what? You and I, same page. We both won a World Series. But there's different ways to do it. And I think that's that process is almost more important than the ultimate goal. Because if you agree with the process that each other kind of work with, that's when you'll see the real success for teams. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a valid point. And let's talk some college football because FCS football is all the way back. They started their you know season what FCS up stands for, right? What's that? Fake college sports. Wow. The the S was a was a was a struggle to pull, but you could have said sports. That seemed like the obvious way I to did go. Say and sports. you took like yeah, but you took way too long to say it. Well, I, I was thinking like fake college season. Okay. Because like well, we're that, playing in the spring. Too. Like why are we and all jokes aside, like 
good good for the FCS for getting things back on track and getting sports out there. Yeah, and we had Jackson State led by Deion Sanders, a new head coach. They won their debut 53 to nothing, but the kind of overlying story that came from this was that Deion Sanders had uh, personal items stolen from him from his, his office, his coaching office there. Uh, people were saying it was a miscommunication, nothing stolen, but Dion and assistant coaches said it was an attempted theft. Uh, and he said it's the second time since arriving on campus he's had personal items stolen, you know, his cell phone, his wallet, his credit cards. And then you have kind of some interesting comments from the media world. You have Stephen A. Smith, uh, Matt, you sent me the, the video. He had some interesting comments. He said he would have handled it differently, wouldn't have cast the school in a bad light. And I'm like, what, what's Dion supposed to do? Just like sweep it under the rug, I guess, and, and not talk about it? No, but I, I kind of get what Stephen A's saying because he coaches at an, an HBCU. You know, there's kind of, uh, you know, Stephen A. Smith goes into it in better depth than I do. You should kind of check it out on ESPN's YouTube page. But he's saying, you know, the connotations of HBCUs and, and, and things like that. But but also, for Deion Sanders, like, he, he's had his stuff stolen from him. Is he going to not make that out there? Yeah, and I totally get that. Obviously, you don't want to, you know, perpetuate that, oh, like, my stuff was stolen. I'm at a, you know, an HBCU and things like that. But I think it can also be, you know, kind of a a teaching moment, in a sense, for Dion to be like, or, or for someone to be like, hey, like – this can't happen and mm-hmm. things like that. So like, I get like, he comes into his press conference and he's obviously a little bit upset or not paying attention to it because this happened. So like, I understand why he comes out and, and makes the comments. Yeah. But we'll move on to, <laughs> we'll move on to uh, some NFL stories and Carson Wentz, who was uh, recently traded to the Colts for that condition, conditional second round pick and a third round pick course reunited with frank reich his former offensive coordinator in philly and and we talked about a little bit but not a ton actually i'm trying to remember back how much we even talked about the deal um but you know a lot of times when these guys get traded they want their numbers you know you saw tom brady get his number in tampa bay carson Wentz asked uh wide receiver michael pittman if he could have number 11 and michael pittman said no he said uh the conversation went really well he's a cool guy didn't try to press me you know lots of guys with that status would come in and demand their number I think he's a really good dude. And I don't know why, but Michael Pittman Jr. saying, like, guys with his status can come in and take numbers, but he didn't press. Like, I don't think Carson Wentz really has that much status on the Colts right now. It, I, I'm i reading the quote, the exact quote from Pittman, and he said, Wentz asked me how locked, how locked in I am on number 11. I told him I'm pretty locked in. He said, all right, that's fine. I'm going to change anyway. Like, this yeah. is such an uncomfortable story because even regardless of the, the status of your quarterback, how good or bad he is, if someone goes to me and says, hey, can I, can I have that, you know, the thing that you've got that I used to have on my old team, it just feels so awkward to say no. So shout out to Pittman for sticking to his guns and saying, you know what, no, nah, I'm going to keep this because I would not do that. No, and you hear the stories about the, the money exchange. Uh, Eli Manning, I believe, what his – one of his teammates going like a week long uh, Florida vacation on his dollar or something like that when he came over to the Giants. So there, there's some interesting stories that come along with it. Like you said, though, good on Pittman. He stayed his ground and kept his number. And, and Matt, I got to tell you this another interesting number story that came out today. I don't know if you saw us, but you mentioned uh, Taewon Walker of the Mets. So he's going to wear number 99. He usually wears number double zero. But the reason why he's not wearing double zero, Matt, is because double zero is Mr. Mets' number. Wow. And I'm hearing, Luke, that Mr. he asked Mr. Met for the number. And you know what Mr. Met did? What did he do? Gave him the double bird. <laughs> double bird from the double zero. That's where the iconic photo iconic. came from, actually. Is the, it? The, the, the photo of him from two wow. years ago giving, the finger, giving some of the finger. He was actually giving it to Walker. That's incredible. I, actually, Matt, I, I want to add another story that's not an odd man rush. I don't know if you saw this, but my, my favorite mascot, of course, Gritty. No. Was uh, there was a story that came out this weekend about Gritty? And did you know that his identity, the person in the costume, is completely secret to the point where the Philadelphia Flyers on a road trip they waited by the baggage to see who picked up his bags, but they just kept going around and around. No one picked it up because the the identity of Gritty is just that sacred. That's a great story. I, I'm picturing Gritty like the guy who is Gritty or the girl, the guy or gal, just walking up in the Gritty costume. Picking out the the um the suitcase. Yeah, I See, mean I can't even now if imagine. You to next level, this couldn't you just remember what the bag looked like and then walk away and try to find that bag again? 
Yeah. And also like that person has to travel with them, right? Or does he get his own plane? Like, how does that work? He definitely traveled. He's definitely on the charter, but I guess there's other people that they just don't know what they do. Like maybe there's yeah, like, that's probably maybe true. there's like a couple gritty handlers or like fake gritties that are actually just social media workers. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. And of course, gritty is at the winter classic. Uh, it's not called the winter classic, but um, all right, the, sorry, the sorry, outdoor sorry. classic, whatever the, they call it. The Lake Tahoe Invitation. No, I don't know what's called. The Lake Tahoe. It, you know what's called? It was called like it was called like NHL Outdoor Saturday, but there's only one day. It was only one event or two games, right. the Saturday and Sunday, which I don't know why you're calling it an outdoor Saturday. It's not like every week we're going to have an outdoor game. And, of course, Gary Bettman forgot about the sun. And yes. I don't know if you saw his quote of saying it was cloudy everywhere except for where the sun was, which is an all-time line. Did you see um, uh, Tony Kornheiser shouted out Oswego's own Al Roker? Did he? On, 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 part really? the, on part of the interruption. The entire wow. SUNY Oswego Twitter and Facebook community was was ecstatic. They were overjoyed. And he said, I'm sure they were. He says, you know, SUNY Oswego alum Al Roker would, would tell you that, you know, call him up. He's got a, he works for NBC. He knows weather. Did he actually say SUNY Oswego or did he, he just did, say He did, yeah. He said SUNY Oswego, uh, SUNY Oswego wow. Al Roker. So, okay, wow. Shout out him. So, yeah, they got their games off, but it was a little slushy for that first game. They that was to, crazy. It wasn't even Did ice. you rewatch at midnight? Did you I watch? did. I watched part of it, yeah. I don't know why yeah, people were making such a big deal of it. Like, they tried something, they wanted it at this time because it's when most eyes are on it, and it screwed up. Like, that's a risk they should be willing to take. I don't know why it's such a crazy idea that they didn't want to do this. Like, is the alternative of them not going to Lake Tahoe and just doing a normal game? I mean, the the, sat, the Sunday game, which was at 7, had the most eyes on it of any cable hockey game in, like, decades. You're listening to the Watling & Owens Podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Back here on 88.9, WNYO, the Lake Radio Network. And Luke, as we wrap up the show, a story that broke yesterday that was just crazy to see was Artemi Panarin, his former KHL coach who coached him for just one year, Andre Nazarov, said he took a woman to the ground with him and to, to the ground with several blows during an altercation. Now, he said this happened when he was 18 years old and the woman was 17 at the time. But a lot of people are kind of saying around this, you know, he's vehemently um, denied it. The Rangers have said that they've denied it. There was a story that I sent you, Luke. I don't know if you saw it in the New York Post that uh, Molly Walker wrote. And it was basically a bunch of players on that team that even denied it, saying we have yeah, no recollection I, of this. Yeah, I put, the, I, I put that article in the rundown, Matt, which just shows that you have zero respect for me, for my, my work, my craft. But uh, – <laughs> Yeah, this is a, a really, honestly, a scary story for, mm-hmm. for Panarin. And, and it's some, it, say what you're going to say. No, I was going to say the, the scary part of it is that Panarin is a, uh, has spoken out against Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, several times. He's in favor of the opposition, Alex Navalny. And as you, you can kind of continue, Luke, this was what seems to be a scare tactic for Artemi Panarin, which has forced him to take a leave of absence. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of the, maybe not to the same extent, but similar to the the Ennis Cantor situation. You know, speaking out against uh, leaders in countries that have powerful leaders that can do things like this, and that's the scary part. Is you know they they said his KHL coach uh, Andre Nazarov is very uh, adamant about his support for Putin, so maybe that's how they got him to to say these things. And honestly, it bothers me too, just because uh, you know these. Assault allegations, you know, they're things that should be taken seriously, but not fabricated. You know, this shouldn't, and I'm not saying it's it is 100% fabricated, but from every detail that we've read, from every account from his teammates, from the Rangers coming out and taking a very strong stance in favor of him, like it seems like there's obviously something fishy going on here. And that also rubs me the wrong way because these are things that, that we take seriously, but when they're made up, it's just kind of almost a knock against people that are actually, you know, in these situations. So just scary for Panarin and obviously taking a step away and worrying about his family in a time where he can't even go back and see his family. I can't, I can't even imagine. That was what was so crazy to me was the minute this was released, it seemed like nobody believed it. And you talk about the importance of trusting domestic violence victims and people. And this is just so frustrating to see because 
you're diminishing what they've what the, the real like the real assault victims are. And I gotta say that, assuming this is false, it doesn't seem like it's very very accurate. You know, the Rangers. I don't think they would take a stance as strong as they did in support of Panarin if they didn't believe this was categorically false. And what the Rangers said was, this is clearly an intimidation tactic being used against him for being outspoken on recent political events. Artemi is obviously shaken and concerned and will take some time away from the team. The Rangers fully support Artemi and will work with him to identify the source of these unfound allegations. And a lot of his teammates kind of backed him as well. Ryan Strom said something really, really strong about it. You know, he said, Bred knows that, uh, you know, knows how much we love him, how much we care for him, how much we appreciate him. You get a small glimpse of what he does on the ice. We see him behind closed doors every day. The way he carries himself, his personality, his attitude. He's an unbelievable person. We'll give him the time and space whatever the time may be, and we'll welcome him back with open arms. So this is more scary for Panarin in the sense that we don't know what's going to happen with his family. You know, Luke, like you said, he has family in Russia. We don't necessarily know what is going to happen, and there's no real there's no real resolution to this, Luke. I've kind of thought about it, and Panarin obviously can't go out and support Putin all of a sudden because people won't necessarily believe it, and he can't really continue to fight Putin in this stance because... You know, we saw what happened with Alexei Navalny where he was captured for a while and kind of hidden or, or he had to leave Russia. So you don't really know how this ends. It's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, I think also it says a lot when you see his teammates, his coach, the organization coming to his defense. Because, you know, when you see situations like this, usually it's we're going to investigate, you know, this, this and this going to happen. You know, the coaches don't really comment on it. But everyone was very quick to come out in defense of Panarin and him kind of coming out too. Obviously, we've seen people deny things that they've done before, but he seemed very adamant about it. So, you know, it's it's just it's so tough because this is a situation where, you know, we talk about sports meeting politics. Like this is not that everything isn't serious, but this is extreme like this is life threatening serious. And it's it's just crazy to me that for for sharing an opinion that shouldn't be perceived as controversial or wrong, just being in opposition of of a leader can put you in this situation. I mean, it's crazy. Like we, we still live in a world where things like this can happen.